Do you know how many companies that you've never heard of are renting private jets in order to fly agency and marketers out to can? And like those, they're running on a resource that they're quickly running out of. Those private Human jets. attention? Human attention, money. I say that, but actually, I think advertising is making a comeback. I think well, I want to get be into bigger that than ever, because but... we're getting a lot of fan yeah. value. But I was well, going to try the show. Let's oh, yeah, this. no, no, we're going to start the show, but I want to slide. Show. I want to slide in a conversational ad unit about what I'm doing in Can. That was why I was bringing it up. <laughs> You're okay. kidding me, right? No, I'm not at all. That's why. I but you, you maybe this. you should talk to Alex and I before you. No, start no, to no, pimp no, no, out, no, 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 no. That's the not podcast. how it works. That this is organic. So anyway, so I'm doing. <laughs> this is this is a native ad. In I'm which doing Brian three <laughs> days. Let me just explain because we're not going to sell it if you guys talk over me. So I'm doing three days of events with my partners at Curve. They partner with Paramount and they do this must shop TV where you can shop the look like in the shows and stuff. You have like 10 seconds left to make your pitch. Okay. Well, that's it. So people should come to, I'm doing this thing called the New Attention Economy in partnership with my friends at Curve. And we got people like Kirk and McDonald's, and we're going to talk about how you build sustainable media businesses. They were having cocktails on the Monday. And then on Tuesday night, I'm having a leader's dinner at a very fancy place. I invited you. We're running out of time, Brian. Troy. Our friend Neil Vogel is collaborating with the Rebooting LLC on a cocktail and conversations event at the Dot Dash Villa because I don't have a villa. I have an Airbnb and it would be That's totally fun. cramped. All I have to say is I picked the right week to quit coffee. I'm going to have to slap myself awake after this. If any of you listening want one of these conversational ad units, get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to work, I'm telling you. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a show about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey. I run The Rebooting, which will be hosting three days of events in Cannes next month in partnership with Curve Interactive. You should join us, find out more information in the show notes, or by signing up for The Rebooting newsletter. And each week, I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor Troy Young and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and founder of Universal Entities. And someone I believe I can get to come around to tasteful sponsorship messages on this podcast. This week, Troy, Alex, and I discuss a variety of topics, ranging from Alex's long-running beef with advertising, while I try to show him how it can be done elegantly. We also discuss whether the hype around video gaming being a truly mainstream cultural phenomenon matches what's happening on the ground. The Legend of Zelda anniversary has elicited tons of retrospectives that annoy the hell out of Alex. I don't get it. I played video games through college, then moved on with my life. I feel like we've been told nonstop that gaming is the future of entertainment, and it's a massive industry, no doubt. I have nephews that are immersed in gaming nonstop, and I might be getting old, but I don't find it completely healthy any more than social media addiction is healthy. I also wonder if this type of mainstream shared cultural phenomenon that entertainment has in the past produced will be produced by gaming. And beyond that, it's becoming increasingly clear that the notion that gaming's undeniable popularity will give rise to esports leagues it was a matter of what one analyst told the New York Times was too much hype and too little value. Which brings us to the issue of sports programming in general. For all the hand-wringing over the new austerity era in streaming, linear TV continues to struggle and now faces the prospect of ESPN pulling out of the cable bundle. Like Google messing with search in response to AI's incursion, the separation of sports from the cable bundle would be a tectonic change. 
Some change is incremental, but these changes are not. And speaking of change, we spend time on whether AI will see the rise of the super empowered individual promised long ago by Thomas Friedman in the Lexus and the Olive Tree. AI gets a lot of focus about replacing humans, but we will spend time on how these tools can actually augment humans to accomplish more and how that will change the organizations of the future. I'm of the belief that for better or worse, more people will pursue an independent path and instead of joining hierarchical companies, will form alliances with others and accomplish specific tasks and execute various projects. Web3 was too early and too obscure across the board, but the idea around decentralized autonomous organizations seemed directionally accurate to me at least. I don't think many of us will wait for this nirvana to produce itself. Instead, I expect we'll see a lot of LLC on LLC action as more people take an independent path. What comes next will be interesting, and that's for sure. I'm of the belief that many of the shifts will be empowering for many people. But the realist in me is reminded of what MIT economist Darren Asamoglu, I'm sorry, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, reminds us of the power dynamics at play in every tech disruption, even going back to the Industrial Revolution. This is what Darren said in a recent FT Weekend interview. Yes, you got progress, but you also had costs that were huge and very long lasting. A hundred years of much harsher conditions for working people, lower real wages, much worse health and living conditions, less autonomy, greater hierarchy. And the reason that we came out of it wasn't some law of economics, but rather a grassroots social struggle in which unions, more progressive politics, and ultimately better institutions played a key role. And a redirection of technological change away from pure automation also contributed importantly. Winners and losers, heroes and villains, these are the ancient narratives now increasingly driven by technology, when in previous times they were built around religion. AI will force us to come to terms with not just what it means to be an individual, but what it means to be human, as we are forced to confront the convenient lines we tend to draw around what constitutes intelligence and consciousness, as we take that license to mistreat all manner of life on Earth from animals to nature. As always, we appreciate any and all feedback you give. I got a few nice notes this week, but one that stood out was from Mike Stankiewicz, who wrote, PBA has made its way into my group of favorite pods and also has become one of my most valuable sources of product inspiration. Thanks for giving us in the digital media slash ad tech industry something to look forward to each week. Thank you so much, Mike. We love to hear from you, so please do send your feedback to brian at therebooting.com. And if you can, leave us a rating and a review wherever you get this podcast because it helps other people discover the podcast. And if for some reason you would like to talk about sponsoring people versus algorithms, I've convinced Troy was easier than Alex, but both Troy and Alex that we are open for business. And so get in touch. It's brian at therebooting.com. We'll figure out a way to integrate you into the podcast in a way that makes sense for everyone involved because I think there's a lot of value here. Hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, Alex, I want to talk about a couple things to start with. One is that I've been getting... Are you going to talk about his newfound popularity? Yes, Alex is I am. The break, because is the breakout sensation of this podcast? I've been getting a lot of notes which, and Boy. mostly positive about the podcast. That's an important mostly? signal. You get a lot of negative stuff? No, well, I filter it. You know how it is, Troy. You guys are more sensitive to negative feedback than I am. We like to improve ourselves. Feedback is a gift. Well, one of the, the things that's emerging is that you are distressingly, I think, becoming a star of the podcast. So I just want to read you one. Do you remember in the beginning when he wouldn't say anything? He's like, oh, no, I'm just a producer. Yeah, no, but I think it's charming. 
in a way. That's why he's a reluctant podcast star. I didn't ask her if I could say her name, so I'm not going to say it. This is, quote, since Alex seems to be getting some heat, which a few people said, <laughs> which I didn't know that we were bullying Alex. I just thought I'd add that I think he's an important voice. Media is way too navel-gazy, and I love his who-the-fuck-cares-about-this-reality-check re-buzzfeed-slash-media generally. It's just a vibe we could use more of, and I say that as a member of the media. Hmm. Oh, hell, that's great. Yeah. So yeah. you're like the Johnny Rotten of this podcast, not yeah. quite the Sid Vicious. You have a total path to, because this is why you're going to be in Cannes next year, like on stage, because advertising people, they love to be debased. They love someone who comes and tells them that what they do is worthless and pernicious and a blight you know, on humanity. Some people charge good money for that. <laughs> There's always a way to make money. This is nice to hear. Oh, I try not to be mean-spirited, but I do have this complicated relationship with advertising. And I do think it makes things generally worse. And I do think that media is constantly hurt by advertising and technology put together. That's a really bad mixture when that happens. But I also don't see any other ways of doing things. So it's not like I have all the answers. Like the great Neva, which was a beautiful search engine, which I was supporting with my money that was meant to do non-ad supported searches on the internet, just shut down because they can't make that business model work and because everybody fucking wants ads on everything. No, everyone doesn't everything. want advert ads on everything. The, the reason that Neva didn't work, if I could say, is you don't have to be better than Google. You have to be 50 to 75% better than Google. And I think this is interesting with the chat GPT and, and being possibly being a rival. Wasn't Neva's plan to introduce superior subscription search as a way of different. Yeah, yeah, I was I was a paying customer. Yeah. It was yeah, like a the, free search I mean, engine. that's a, it's a terrible idea. I mean, with all due respect. But hang on, like, wait, is it a terrible idea? It's absolutely terrible. Yeah. Only Troy, like a few Troy. Germans ever signed up for that. Okay, let's talk about a lot of things that have become worse over time, and let's try to figure out why they become worse. If I could just put a spot on this agenda, I have a very put timely it, it, one. Thank you. Put one. Now? Do okay. It, yes. Love my mother, hadn't seen her in a long time, went to see her. She's a lovely person, doing great, and she wants to watch TV and her TV existence because of this is my assessment of the situation because of hardware manufacturers attempting to build a program guide and content and advertising into the hardware. There exists a whole new dimension now outside of your cable interface where they, when you turn the TV on, they make it look like it's a whole world of programming and they do it with a lot of what are called fast channels. Anybody that has a couple hundred hours of video programming can create their own bespoke channel from an endless stream of prices right episodes to fail army from it's basically like curated channels from youtube fail army is that and crackle i like crackle no that was the company that was bought by what's it called fail army is a, oh that's a trusted media tr brands trusted media brands yeah anyway my mother lands in this experience and told me for the last three weeks she hasn't been able to watch the news and I'm like, well, because there's no news here, mom, you're not in the right interface. You have to get over to your cable programming guide. Now, to get over to the cable programming guide, she has to hit source on her crazy, complicated LG remote control that has a pointer where the little mouse thing shakes around because she's got a little bit of a shake now. She's older. And she can't move from that interface to her cable interface where she would get news and local programming and the Canadian networks and all that stuff. So she has no way to navigate or even really understand the game, like moving between these two worlds. You covered that, right? But 
Well, the um, reason why, to get back to your point, is because LG is heavily incented to fill her interface up with advertising carrying content so that they can find a new revenue model for the television. Well, who wants to be a dumb pipe or a dumb box? Nobody. But wait, and this is my issue with advertising, and specifically performance advertising and all the stuff that sucks up our attention or is fighting for our attention. The business model of TVs has long not been about selling the TV and has quickly become about selling attention. And therefore, advertising and performance advertising always leads to a place that is anti-user. No matter what you guys say about the best advertising, none of these things are good for the consumer. As okay, experience. but wait a second. None you're of talking, them. You're talking about performance. They're two realms. When was the last time? I was trying to think about that because I was trying to get to have a more optimistic view of advertising. TVs are definitely something that was ruined by advertising. A search, the internet, also ruined by, that, by advertising. I guess that it's also... Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is not going to help the freaking ad sales. Well, anyway. but here's the thing. I guess that it also helps progress the same way oil helps progress, but also ruins the environment. I think advertising is the petrochemical of the media world. Hey, you're anti, when was you're the last time? But hear me out. Industrialization. Hear me out. You remember when we used to see nice ads or we used to talk about advertising that was good or even agencies yeah. would come into a company and start creating this partnership relationship. But hey, when was the last time an ad agency came into one of those companies and became an actual partner for those companies. They're not. Well, like everybody's just a media buyer and helping, you know, them yeah. do programmatic shit. That's why from a sociological perspective, I love to go to Cannes where I'm doing three days of events with Curve. <laughs> New hey, Al- Al- Alex, you know what? My son and I tried to kind of create a mock learning exercise for my mother where mm-hmm. I held up the two remotes and we said, quick, you want to watch Netflix? What do you do? Which remote? And she started to panic and freak out. And then I went went out with someone when I was there and they said they had the same problem as I did. And they showed me a photo of two remote controls that they customized for their parent. And they had wrapped it in sticky notes and put elastics around it only to reveal a single button that they had to press to get Netflix or to change the source. It was very funny. <laughs> it is insanity. And the crazy thing is because advertising allows those products to get on the store shelves cheaper than anything else, there is no space for a competitor to come and say, hey, we'll build a good product. The only company that's ever been able to do that is Apple. And even they are going to start looking at advertising and start going, yum, yum, yum. Look at that. If I look for Airbnb, maybe we could put Expedia up top and make a few bucks there. Of course it, of course it, it fucking sucks, guys. Guys, it fucking sucks. Yeah. Well, guess How who? can we make advertising okay, not suck? Alex, guess who is going to be a major presence at Cannes, where I'm doing three days of events with Curve next week? That's <laughs> Apple. <laughs> Apple is coming to Cannes. They're going to have a massive oh, presence, Jesus and it's going to be right next to Amazon. Remember Amazon? The Jeff Bezos with advertising is the tax you pay for having a shitty product. Well, guess what? Amazon's knee-deep in the ad business now. I mean, Amazon.com is an ad network. It's a massive ad platform. The world is an ad network. You're tilting at windmills. Yeah, I know. But guys, okay. Yeah, fine. I do feel a little bit like the eco-warrior, the Greenpeace guy in his little dinghy trying to tag the size of this giant tanker that's like crushing all these baby seals. Because, well, you know, he's trying to stop progress. You're just a simple farmer with a computer on your face and a family office. And it's... I got it for the record. He he liked advertising a lot more when he was poor. Well, I thought we could make you know, it good, Troy. We were, the big, we were. I thought we could make it good. Yeah, I think Alex won this podcast already. It's done. <laughs> All right. So, but I want to move on to something. I was reading this thing about 
because gaming is something that obviously you're completely engrossed in. I think to to fuck you know. I realized I managed to get so sorry. I realized I managed to be so anti-ad again, even though I came in with a lot of good talking points about how I'm softening on ads. But every time I actually really think about it, it just makes me want to vomit. But let's keep going. (laughs) Sorry. All right, this is a bad time for me to return to my three days of programming <laughs> at the Curve Cafe and Kid. All right, so I wanted to move on to talk a little bit about gaming because something I came across because I'm not a gamer, okay? And I've, for years, I just stopped anything with gaming when I was in college, as I thought adults did. They just went on to do other things. They would read books, they would go outside and stuff. And gaming has eaten seemingly the entertainment industry. But at the same time, I'm like reading about it, but I don't really know it. We've been trading messages about Zelda. Got a confession. I've never played it. I don't even know really what Zelda is. And I know this sort of divorces me from a larger culture. But one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of things aren't totally mainstream in gaming. Like when you look at Twitch, I've heard about Twitch going to happen forever. It is not one of the major platforms. And this week, more news has come out with this esports stuff that this seems like a complete zero interest rate phenomenon. I mean, FaZe Clan, I remember I did a podcast with the FaZe Clan guy, the Lee Trink, years ago. And I was like, oh, it sounds interesting enough. Again, for me, I'm like, does anyone really want to go to the Barclay Center and watch these people play video games? And it seems like it has been a pivot back to reality for a lot of this. So what exactly is going on with the mainstreaming of gaming? Because I don't think it's as straight a line as sometimes it's painted. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think that sometimes the revenue of some of these hit games kind of masks the fact that people still don't talk about gaming the same way they talk about movies to their friends. There's still enough of a gap in how people consume games within friend groups. That means that not everybody's talking about the new Zelda. Like I know a lot of gamers, not everybody's playing that game right now. But there are very few people who aren't watching at least one of the shows I'm watching because I think TV is much more universal. So it remains niche. It's also a very deep and wide kind of category. So so there's some games that are deeply, deeply specialized or hard to get into. There's full-on simulations and people who get on servers that have role-playing aspects to it. There's Grand Theft Auto Five servers that are run on custom setups where people take on roles and they have to behave as those roles. So you can be a delivery person or a cop or an ambulance worker and everybody's kind of playing those roles. This takes up a ton of amount of time. And then there's like mobile gaming, which everybody plays. So gaming itself is probably like a hard thing to define as as a single category. Does that make sense? Brian's also talking about a kind of esports, co- yeah. a collision of use cases, which maybe we thought made sense because of the growing popularity of, of gaming among young people. But turning that into a spectator sport because it has a competitive dimension didn't really work. Right? No. So, but they were trying to make it like a into scale. a competitive sport slash like... It's everyone, not very fun though. It's not very fun to watch. Everyone lives in the same house and their personalities and whatnot. Yeah. And, and it's like drone racing league. Have you ever watched drone racing? It's yeah, not very fun to watch. To be, the thing is, it's not I very fun to watch. I think be the next. new sports... <laughs> Grandpa. <laughs> wow. Let's talk about curves. 
<laughs> I mean, new sports are really hard to popularize. Even like the XFL or something tried to become a thing. There's a bunch of different wrestling leagues. I think the only one that we've seen really stand out has been some sort of like mixed martial arts stuff. It's hard to make things go mainstream. Well, I think the, people pounding the shit out of each other is as old as. Yeah, but that has existed yeah. forever. But I but think there are so it, many niche sports leagues now. There's a wiffle ball, national wiffle ball league. I know. I'm talking stuff. about the things that really attracts the big dollars. UFC yeah. is the is the last one. And I think it's hard to keep that attention when you get older. I think watching esports is great when you're spending a lot of time playing those games. I was a pretty competitive player when I was young. But you lose interest and it's kind of hard to watch. Did you, and it takes a lot did of you time. rank in Cyprus? Were you big in Cyprus? We didn't have ranks back then, but I was pretty unbeaten at Quake at the time. That's how old I am. Would people recognize you at the Cyprus grocery store? No, but there was a competition once where if anybody could beat me and my playing partner, they would get one year's free of internet. One year <laughs> of free internet. Did and you guys, nobody, used, to, nobody did you guys used to hang out at the arcade at all as kids? I did. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Mm. For sure. It's funny, the arcade really I think made kids it are much screwed up because they don't hang cultural. out at the arcade and they're at home with their headsets on. I know, I'm going to be the grumpy guy. This, And that's why I, I'm troubled by gaming because all the addictive things that we talk about, about social media, I'm sorry, they exist in gaming too. And I don't think Except gaming at least has a social dimension, Brian. Really? For my son, gaming in some ways was a savior because his best friend when we left California and him played video games constantly. And yeah, so was, I think it's very different. As, yeah, no, it's, it's not a, like binary social stuff. Like this, just like social media. No. I mean, I met my wife through Facebook. And really? Like, right. The yeah. difference with social media is that there's a social aspect to it where you're constantly comparing yourself to each other and it depresses Okay, teams, but you don't right? think like, gaming has similar downsides? With No, I mean, gaming's been around for a long time. I don't know. Does it matter oh, yeah, if I'm playing I was a, playing Donkey Kong. A little different. Is playing a video game worse than watching reality TV for an hour? It's worse than yeah. going outside. I'll tell you that much. But so is watching those goddamn ads you're trying to sell. Yeah. First of all, yeah. no, because it's three days of robust programming and... Honestly, you're going to learn something. There's going to be drinks afterwards. There's going to be those little French cucumber sandwiches. Yeah. You know great. what I'm talking about. I do, <laughs> probably. The French do an amazing little sandwich. Oh, th just the last thing on since we moved into like gaming. I don't know if you guys saw that ESPN is making its move to finally go DTC. I think a lot of times when we're focused on the streaming wars, and I know this isn't totally our area, but maybe we'll get someone on who can talk in more depth of this, is it's the linchpin that's holding together cable still. We talk about the mess of fast channels and stuff, but cable is still dying and it's a major problem. I mean, I met with someone earlier this week at a broadcaster who, man, they're still in like a spiral and they don't have an off ramp to it. And if sports gets pulled out, that sucks, man. That's going to be a world. Of I don't hurt. think I know anyone personally that has a cable connection that I know of that has a cable subscription. I have one. Oh, well, there you go. I know one person. Well, I have it, Alex. I have it via YouTube TV, and that was a game changer for me because we can do it anywhere. You can do it on your phone. You can do it. But so you watch on sports your... on it, right? I mean, that's yeah, why we you all, watch it. My whole family, yeah. we love watching sports. Yeah. Okay. There's just, well, there's just 80 million people with cable TV. So it's true. <laughs> Alex doesn't know any of them because they don't, they don't live on farms. Yeah, none of the cool young people. Everyone gets Starlink. You probably know more people who have Starlink than have cable, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's I a probably sample do. problem. Yeah, it is a sample problem. But I mean, does anybody under 30 get cable? Or if you could get sports any other way, would you ever get cable? No. No, I think That's this it. is where it inevitably goes. But the problem is when you pull out, it's kind of like search, right? When you pull that out and when you pull live sports out, 
And when you pull out SEO, a lot of shit breaks. Maybe good. Maybe it needs to. It's going to break and there's going to be a whole lot of pain for on the business side and on the consumer side. It's a big thing, Brian. A couple things that come to mind for me. First of all, it was a tax before because it was virtually in every bundle at almost $10 per subscriber, literally 20 times what a normal cable channel charged you. They were typically around 50 cents to a dollar. Even those were terrific businesses at that amount. But when you're in 80 to 100 million homes and they pay you that tax every month, it's a pretty good business. I saw it firsthand because you know that Hearst is a shareholder of ESPN. And it's going to be really sobering when only the people that want it pay for it. You're going to see a big price increase and real declines in profitability, I suspect, at ESPN and therefore Disney. But the thing that I find confusing is, am I going to have to have all of these different streaming services to watch football every weekend? It's going to be confusing. If I want it from NBC or CBS or ESPN or Amazon, my mother can't use a remote controls. How is she going to watch football games across four services? I think the NFL goes last. I think the NFL is too big. When we talk about sports leagues, if you look at like the top, 10 most watched programs, the NFL has eight of them. Right, the NFL but, but will multiple companies buy rights from them. The end game, yeah. I think the problem is we're stuck in this uncanny place right now where things still work like channels, but the set-top box wants to work like a computer. And so the way it should really work, and I think Apple kind of tried that, but you know, folks like Netflix aren't playing along, is that the machine is just something you talk to or request and say, show me the game. And then it just opens the app that has the game. It mm-hmm. shouldn't, the concept of switching channels and stuff like that needs to right. go away. But it's just because everybody that's doing business like doesn't understand. It's like, oh, we can still have our thing with our logo on it. But, but the intersection know, of the time-based use case, which is the programming guide and the library-based one, which is a collection of shows like Netflix, has never been easy to kind of mesh, Alex. No, right? they're, sure, d- they're yeah. different constructs. One is what am I watching right now? And it's defined by time across a horizontal scale. And the other ones show me something by show name or topic or category of entertainment that I want to see. Yeah. But isn't this the, the typical thing where technology pulls apart what used to be a bundle and creates a mess, a total mess? And then guess what? Technology comes in and it's like, we're going to rebundle it in a smarter way and we're going to tax everyone. It's just going to be a new tax. The cable bundle was always anti-consumer. It was always a, a bad deal, a bad interface. You got a bunch of shit you didn't want. On the contrary, it was great because it was simple and everybody had it and it was reliable. Hey, Brian, do you have cable? I don't, but I did in Florida because it came with the like homeowners association. How do you watch, how do you watch games now? Like basketball games and stuff? Oh, I dip in and out of Hulu. So when the Sixers lost, I was bummed, but then I just went and canceled Hulu. And that's going to be the problem with live sports too, is when you move into this a la carte world, everyone's just going to go dip in and out, cancel, re-up. Whereas you had a lot of that just inertia that existed with cable. Yeah, you know, the pie is just going to get smaller. It's not just going to be divided up, it seems like. It's just going to simply get smaller. And that's, I know, well, to me, in a lot of ways, it's the story of media. Is It's not like you can't make money in it, but the pie might get smaller. Probably on on an smaller. unrelated note, does a guy like you shift from Philly to Miami? 
What do you mean, like Rudy? Miami's well, not for, real it, for sports. in the playoffs. No, no, no. They're in. They're going to be in the finals. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I'll root for Jimmy Butler because I think Jimmy Butler is like hilarious and he's like he's a, amazing. Yeah, he's great. He's a dog. See, he knows how to do tasteful what? Look what's commercial placements right with his. Alex uh, coffee is brand. zoned out. Alex is completely zoned out right now. I know. Yeah. We got to. We got to keep. Do you know that Apple was released in the latest <laughs> Apple TV? He worried out. He's back to some Apple release. <laughs> they released MultiView for sports for their MLS coverage. So you can watch multiple sports at once, oh. which is sounds way healthier than playing video games. So yeah, that. sports bonds people. All this mess, it's going to get people to go to the bar. Sports are a way for men to be able to safely speak to each other and, and be open with each other. You That's know, healthy. If there's a yeah. game yeah. on the screen. That's healthy. It's going to save masculinity. It's in a bad place. <laughs> go Listen to Scott Galloway, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I was, I was do we have a guys? I, 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 do we? I feel okay, like we. Sorry, Troy we wants top? to take over here. Yeah. No, I don't want to no, take Troy over. I just want to know if we have. Have we got a the, topic this week? Yeah, is that Brian's going to do that thing in cans for three days with curve tastefully? Yeah. Thank you. See, sad, repetition sad works, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, this is the show, actually, Troy. And and <laughs> <laughs> welcome. I was trying to do something different. Usually I was trying to get more organized, but then um, keep going. You're not liking it. So I want to move on to the thing that you want to talk about because we we haven't talked about AI for a little while and I think it's good. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I got to admit, yeah, I, was just, I, mean, I get tired of it. I get tired of it. Even though I'm reading this book, God, Human, Animal, Machine, it's very fascinating. The big thing that really opened my eyes that I don't know why I never thought about it before was the fact that we've replaced religion with technology. I think there was this one quote in there that really resonated with me. It basically said that we're relying on all the existential questions that have become engineering problems. And that really when religion used to be a way for us to try to explain the world around us, and now we'll rely on technology for the answer. Like, it's not going to be a narrative. We're going to know for sure. And I don't know. I think that's an interesting... I got it from that Ezra Klein. He does the three books with something with one of his guests. And it's a really good book. I highly recommend it. I'm only like halfway through. But I want to talk about what AI, how AI on a more prosaic level is going to change the organization. Because I have this theory, basically, that it's going to sort of turbocharge a lot of individual size businesses, particularly in the media industry, because I think you can build really good and really profitable businesses. They're just going to be smaller. And I think AI can be a tremendous source of leverage. But you have some thoughts, Troy, I believe, on this and how it's going to pose both an organizational challenge and opportunity. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll start here. Jonah knows Jonah is Chelsea Peretti's brother, Alex. Oh, yeah, that guy. Jonah knows that the only way to save BuzzFeed is to reinvent it with AI. And so just before the call, I thought I would try their latest AI tool, which is inside of the Tasty app. And it allows you to sort of say, I'm depressed and I don't feel like cooking. What should I eat? And it will give you like 10 chicken dinners. This is Batatui, by the way. Batatui is what it's called. Yeah. And so I think that everybody, I guess just to back up a little bit. So you're, you're seeing BuzzFeed experiment with AI, just like they were kind of thought leaders and innovators around social. And I think that you're starting to see at least a couple companies I'm involved with. Obviously, there's a huge amount of experimentation around how it assists editors and journalists in creating content more effectively as a research tool or someone that can create a kind of skeleton of an article or fill in parts of it or whatever. I think that's really reasonable. Create art. All those use cases make lots of sense. 
And then I think where you're starting to see it now is how it assists people in a kind of back and forth, particularly around like consumer journeys. So if you want to configure a car or find the right credit card or whatever, you're going to see a lot of people draw on either open source or chat GPT APIs to parse through policy information or what cards are right. If I spend at this level, how many points can I get? You're going to see kind of localized versions of AI on pages that'll make them smarter and better and render custom tables and all kinds of stuff like that. And I think that underneath of everything, there's going to be this kind of tension around what gets done at a page level locally by a media brand and what gets done by chat GPT in a centralized way, because it can process a huge amount. I mean, it can kind of solve so many use cases. It's a question of how often will you leave that central kind of vortex to go get something done somewhere else. And then they're going to try to bring you into their place of business with plugins. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of wandering a bit, but the whole plugin experiment seemed like really wonderful when I first observed it and I hadn't played with it. Now, having played with it, I'm changing my mind. And I guess it's just a period of early stage of innovation, but most of the plugins are not very useful. And so, for example, if you use the Kayak plugin and you say, I want to rent a car in British Columbia for these days, get me this kind of car. What it does is it goes out and it gives you, after about four minutes, a list of three links to Kayak where you'd go find the car. And as such, it's hugely inefficient. Like faceted search inside of Kayak gets you the answer in two seconds. It's really useful because it's structured for the use case, as opposed to this back and forth with chat that doesn't work very well yet. You know, it's interesting to see how it plays out between the center and the periphery and what role things like plugins will end up playing in this space. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about the organization. Well, uh, I meant like humans, how you build and run a company being changed because a lot of this we talk a lot about the consumer expectations changing and it's obviously still very early with this stuff but to me the most profound changes are going to be internal they always are yeah yeah i had to talk about that is it my turn to talk of course it is you were were very patient in the first half of this i'll bring alex into this elegantly i had to talk about this at a meeting i went to last week Two things. One is I use two human use cases. We talk about AI making people into sort of superhumans and how it's going to change the structure of organizations. Is it going to make them less hierarchical? Are we going to find ways to empower people that are much more comfortable with AI that can do a huge amount more work because they're more effective with tools? How do we deal with people like that? And how do we benefit from them in organizations, I think, is a big question. And it's so overwhelming right now. Alex made the suggestion that you take 5% of your processes or 5% of the places where you spend a lot of time and try to reinvent them with AI, which is, I think, a good rule of thumb. Anyway, to get to the point, I used Alex and this other guy I work with, Dennis, as examples of people that are using AI every day in how they work that are really inspiring to me as people that are becoming more effective. So what you told me, Alex, is the following. You use Discord, you've integrated Midjourney in as a visualization tool natively inside of Discord, because that's how it runs anyway. You're starting to train AI on your gaming narratives so that there could be a kind of organic back and forth between the people in your company when you're thinking about how to evolve a character or a narrative. 
conceivably in the future that could become a kind of infrastructure to guide players like you could open that up to the community when the game is released to the public so the way you're using technology i think is an inspiration or a use case of how companies are going to use it in the future there's another guy just then i'll throw it over to you guys a guy named dennis i mentioned a minute ago i swear the guy does the work yeah he does the work of 10 people And if you think about it, Dennis has an army of robots that supports him in what he does every day. Do you want to just talk about Drug Hunter? Because this is where I'm like sort of interested. I want to be a little selfish here beyond promoting my events. Because I have another event I'm going to be promoting later. Because I think what Dennis is doing with Drug Hunter and selfishly what I'm trying to do with the rebooting, I am doing it, is you're trying to use the advantages of having an incredibly lean organization. I'm trying to workshop a thing called Nano Publisher. And you can cover a ton of ground and I would imagine you're going to be able to cover a ton more ground as a nano publisher. It is insane what Dennis gets done with 10 people. But explain Drug Hunter. Well, Drug Hunter is a hyper vertical publishing media brand designed for drug hunters are chemists that pursue the creation of new drugs. And so it's vertical media targeted to people that are in labs and working at drug companies and work in academia, doing research and developing drugs. So the content is extremely dense. Somewhere sits bet- it sits between kind of news about the drug industry and things that are happening and academic journals or journals like Nature or stuff that are very expensive subscriptions yeah. designed for the scientific community. And so Dennis kind of sits between those two things. One of his features, for example, is Molecule of the Month that give you a sense of the kind of stuff he does. And they use AI to assist in the sales process. They use AI to write contracts. They use AI to write stubs of articles to help brief the PhDs that write the content. It's manifest kind of everywhere in the organization. And as a result, it's just a really, really efficient company. I want to have Dennis on my other podcast. You should. He's great. Yeah, I'm going to do that next week. Alex, how can this change organizations? How should those of us listening, because I think one of the things I get from people other than loving you and feedback is it's a common thing that they say that they like to hear things that they can take out of this context and then apply it in their context because we always we all operate in different contexts. So I think it's really good. At its best, I think this kind of media really helps people connect dots. So help people connect the dots on how they should be thinking about how AI is going to reshape their organization, knowing that every organization is unique. There are a lot of tools that are going to make a lot of these things easier and easier. At a basic level, there's a lot of just productivity that you can gain back from that. I think using the 5-10% method to try to kind of replace some of the tasks you might be doing with AI kind of means you can get most of your day. There's a lot of like organizational planning, writing specific type of emails that you write a lot, sales, funnel stuff that can be done with a ChatGPT Pro subscription. You open your new chat and you start to train that conversation around creating certain things for you. And So give just, me like three examples of ways that you use, say, ChatGPT to scale Alex? Well, I mean, right now I've been doing it to plan my travels. So it's been really good at kind of figuring out things around travel. And that's all the stuff I suck at, like finding out, (laughs) doing a packing list for a trip, a specific trip to a specific place, really good. Finding places to stay or places to go eat or organizing myself around that or feeding it an itinerary and it gets back to me. So all that planning stuff is stuff that I find hard and it's been helping. Really helpful has been parsing contracts. 
So I can kind of upload a PDF or copy and paste a contract or an invoice. So we received some pretty complicated invoices and I asked ChatGPT to just parse it out and give me a bullet list. And this would have taken me an hour and it took 10 seconds. Mm. So invoices, contracts, that side of complex information that is like hard to analyze and full of jargon, it does a pretty good job at it if you can trust it. I wouldn't do it for like mission critical stuff at first, but just get used to the system. What about your storyboarding stuff, Alex? Yeah, definitely storyboarding. I mean, we're, it's like a creative field. So being able to kind of, let me give you an example, even if it wasn't video games, if you were trying to storyboard, let's say a remodel that you're having, or maybe you want your cans tasteful kind of dinner to look a certain way. You can use that with prompting and create something that looks the way you want and save a ton of time back and forth communicating ideas. And I think people should do that more and more because right now what happens is usually the client just will write down like some sort of spec and it'll go back to whatever creative team there is, whether it's like an interior designer or an events manager or whatever, and they'll do all this mood boarding stuff. But there are enough tools out there right now to get pretty close to what you want things to look like. And that will save you money. And I think one of the biggest overheads in companies is communication overheads. Like how do you take something out of somebody's brain and put it into somebody else's brain? And I think these generative tools can really help with that. All right. I've got a use case. I want to run it by you and tell me if AI can or cannot help doing this. So I've been like putting together three days of programming for Curve at Can. And I have all of these contacts and I have all of this material that I've been writing about and I need to put together three days of programming at the Curve Cafe in Cannes from June 19th to 22nd. And <laughs> 21st, sorry. He's... 22nd is a different event. We'll talk about that later. I need to be able to do this efficiently. And a lot of it is just like, I don't remember. I know a lot of people, right, from over the years. There's, there's a lot of people who are very valuable, say, for a publishing leaders dinner, say, on June 21st. And how do I use AI to do that more efficiently? Because right now, I'm like just literally combing through my database or just trying to remember, like, who would be good for this? Is there a way yet? Or, and will there be a way that I can basically program three days of programming at Curve Cafe through using AI? If you look at the tools that are available now off the shelf without you having to do a lot of messing with APIs or stuff like that, you would probably need to do some input to yourself or create a spreadsheet of sorts or try to kind of like compile some information that you could feed into a system like that and figure out what the query should be to come up with something useful. Lots of tools are going to be coming out around that, but they're not likely out yet or readily available, including stuff. I guess a lot of the stuff's in email, right? So it's going to be interesting to see what Google does with their email because that's going to be very mm -hmm. powerful once they start integrating. I have a lot of first party data which is I have a lot of people's names, I have their email addresses, and through that, I should be able to understand where they work, whether they fit. For instance, I want people who are, let's say, director level and above or something like this. Yeah. To me, the use case would be, I would always rely on an event programming team at previous jobs. It's just me, really. I mean, I have a couple people helping me out. How do I scale that? Well, can I make a comment about it? Yeah. I mean, I have a way to do it that I think would work today, but it's hypothetical. But Troy, go ahead. It's pointing out one of the weaknesses that I see that I hope gets resolved at one, some point. So for example, if you're on the ChatGPT+, you now have access to their web crawler, their code thing. What's their code thing called, Alex? I forget. And their plugins. 
So if you say, I've been pushing it a lot to go out to the web and do things for me, Brian, which is analogous to what you want it to do. Because what you would do is feed it a list of names and you would have it go out to LinkedIn and you would have Mm -hmm. it bring back level whatever you want it to do and say, help me figure out who to invite to my event or how I should program it. But if you ask ChatGPT to go out and analyze the New York Times homepage and bring you back the top stories, it doesn't work very well. And if you ask Bard to do it, it doesn't work well at all. And so this the connection between these really clean models that have analyzed all this information and can produce fast results, the connection between that and the world of the search index and the web is really clumsy right now. It doesn't yeah. really do it. And not only that, the incentives are going to be for LinkedIn to block anybody from coming in and doing essentially what is just fancy scraping. Yeah, We used to have a sort of format, I guess, at Digiday where it would be the next most important job at the media company. It would be like whatever, how it's changed. And I think the next most important job at the AI era media company for for me, but for other companies, is this kind of like Wrangler who knows enough about the tools. They don't have to be technically proficient. To me, it's like the new version of the product manager, right? At their best. They were hackers. I know the people that I put in there, they weren't tech people. And that was fine, actually, because they had to play a translation role. But they knew Zapier and some little things and stuff like this, very light. But they understood the business use cases. I think that is someone I would absolutely hire because I could possibly do this, but I really yeah. think that someone yeah. a lot younger and a lot savvier is better. I talk to a lot of companies about this stuff, and this is where a lot of companies are getting distracted by trying to kind of replace people entirely. It's quite frightening, actually. The same way Uber was kind of distracted by investing in self-driving cars. But I think there's this last mile issue here. But the idea is that you could have one person that does a lot of this via AI and learns how to use the tools and also learns on the job as the tools are changing. And I think your ambitions can change then. You can be more ambitious about how you build sales channels. You can be more ambitious about building a a product that might need customer support, which is a huge expense. But instead of having to hire 100 people, you might be able to do it with 10. I mean, the the system works okay now, right? With sort of ChatGPT4 with web browsing, I just asked what's Troy's current role and it said Troy Young currently runs a substack called People versus Algorithm where he explores Boom. patterns in media. That's humiliating, Troy. And that's all yeah. that you're a substacker. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to the club. You'll be back in premium economy soon enough. You add that with a person that effectively does a little bit of cleanup around that. And you can right. So the way I would contextualize this a little bit, Brian, I think there's a whole new set of roles coming into companies which exist to improve the connection between humans and machines by helping us use tools more effectively and use data more effectively. And I think it's kind of like a role of the future becomes incredibly important. It's kind of like a fancy prompt writer, but someone that knows more than that. You mentioned Zapier. A guy like Dennis would say, I use HubSpot and leads come in off my website and then I put them into the funnel. And then I go out and profile that lead and say, what is this person's role in a company? Are they high priority or not? Then I automatically send out an email to this person. I book a in-person or I book an online demo where I take them through the tool. So it's like a kind of digital yeah. Rube Goldberg machine, right? But this is yeah. what I'm talking about. For little publishing companies, my last company had 20 people in sales. I compete against people with 20 people. It's just me and I do everything else and have a couple people help me out on the business development side and they're incredibly valuable. But what I see 
and I just don't understand how to harness it, is the ability to compete as a nano publisher with people who have far more resources. And scale, no matter what everyone says, it depends on your definition, is it, tremendous. There's so many things you can do with the resources you have. But the reality of the media business is, at least in the publishing, is the money isn't there to support that infrastructure. And it needs to be replaced. And to me, AI is the ability, broadly speaking, to do more with less. Yeah, Dennis's line on it was, take anything that you do a million times and automate it. That's it. That's simple. Alex is either thinking and speaking like in tongues or his microphone isn't working. <laughs> Sorry, okay, good. I heard that was like one of those Elon Musk things where he like had a fifteen. Yeah, so let me pause. take this again. I think that having somebody at your company or somebody that you hire part time or full time to look into these things and throwing small tasks at them and seeing how they can resolve it is probably the best way to go. And especially just keeping an eye on things that are developing. Everyone's really excited about what these things can do, but I do feel there's a lot of small startups that could be created now. And I don't know how long of a lifespan they have, but there's a lot of very specific use cases that could be solved with these new technologies if you built an interface specifically for that. Whether it's around travel or shopping or whatever, people are looking for very specific things that just make it easy. Right now, things aren't that easy. But imagine if you had specialized assistance around finding furniture or doing things like that. We just have parts of the interface automated. I do think there are small businesses in there that would have been huge technological lifts that are not possible with a couple of people. So you're also going to see a lot of that. Yeah. And the final thing on this that I think it's going to push forward, it's kind of like this podcast, right? In that we all have our own separate things going on, but we like collaborate on this Mm -hmm. I think that there's going to be more of that within not like an all or nothing. Basically, everyone is going to be their LLC and there's going to be a lot of LLC on LLC action. And that <laughs> there's going to be projects that people do together, but everyone is going to want to stay a lot leaner. It depends. If you're going to build like massive video games, you're going to need. It's obviously not. I'm thinking mostly in, in my little pastoral area. Scale is going to remain a moat. Disney has this moat. You can only be Disney yeah. and do Disney shit. But I think it's going to be a moat for a lot fewer companies than it used to be, which is going to be really interesting also for the capital markets, where the valuation was, wait, if we can take this idea and pump $30 million into it, we can destroy the competition. Now, does that still make sense? Are we going to pump $30 million into something that then six weeks later, somebody figures out to do with $3 million? And it's exciting that scale is going to become less of a moat. And I do like the idea of everyone just being their LLC and collaborating. I think that's great. And maybe that's where crypto comes back with DAOs. Oh, no, no. Right, not, Troy? No, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Troy's busy scrubbing everything he ever said about crypto off the internet. <laughs> Should we move on? Oh, oh, wait. I had another promotion to do, but this is like unsponsored. Oh, Jesus. Hey, you guys man, are invited this is too. Like so getting out of hand. On June 13th, Troy, you definitely know Joe Marchese, former president of Fox Ad Revenue. I don't it think Marchese? it's Marchese. Marchese? I don't know. I go back and forth. Marchese. I, I, don't, I try not to do problem. authentic pronunciations unless I know. Oh, you, you try not to? That was It's on purpose. No, because like you, if you say like the European pronunciation, then you could come off as pretentious. Even in Europe, they don't say they don't say Marchese. Okay. I see it in my coffee shop where it costs like $7 to get a cup of coffee. Like, that have a pan of chocolate. It's like, just get a chocolate or something. You know what? I feel like a jerk when I do that because I speak French. For me, switching to the French accent, even though I can, it makes yeah. me feel like such an asshole. Yeah. I like, guess I'm saying like, yeah, and I would like one of these cinnamon buns and two croissants. And <laughs> like, you don't do that, jerk. I do. Yeah. You know what? I noticed there's some cute 
sort of Canadianisms. I know you sure. don't bring up that much, Alex, but or Brian, but a guy last night at dinner said, "Yeah, you should just go search that <laughs> what up." What does that yeah. mean? It's just like upper. Just search it up. Stuff. Oh wait, so, oh I, I didn't get it. I didn't get okay. across my promotion. But so one, we're doing one, this, one, and you one, guys, I, I'd love for you to come. It's on June thirteenth. We're doing this little salon at Joe's place, and it's about AI and humans. It's a human conversation about AI and media, and I'm going to have a conversation with Joe and Sarah Fisher from Axios and Peter Kafka from. Box. So, if anyone wow. wants to come, send me an email, Brian at rebootingcom There's no. Uh, Can I come? Yeah. When is that? Totally come. It's June thirteenth. It's going to be at five p.m. in Soho. I'll be in the south of France. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> Me. Yeah. Okay. Should we move on to good product? Yeah. What do you have for us? A peach. I got a few things here. One was just the thing that that made me laugh. There was a guy. This was in that newsletter today in tabs. There was a guy who had a tattoo on his thigh. And I'm not sure why he got it. He had gone to Reddit to ask people what he should put over top of it. And the tattoo read, shrimps is bugs. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Shrimps is bugs. Which I thought was really funny. I don't know. You tell me. And then the whole kind of, there was a new subreddit created around search called search is bugs. They started designing him new tattoos that didn't. So do you think shrimps is bugs? They're kind of gross. I have a different take. Well, I mean, I have a different take. I have shrimps is bugs and eating bugs should be fine. Oh God, this is so West Coast. What do you mean West Coast? This is why Donald Trump's going to get reelected. I guarantee you he's going to add to his riff about how progressives and whatever one people have such thin bugs. skin yeah thin skinned brian if nothing else you become the, the grandpa Ray. of yeah. this podcast good product i want to do my did you ever notice <laughs> <laughs> well the other one i i shared two with you one is about the disappearance of currency and the other is about a simple currency driven mechanism to incent the right behavior i saw both of these in canada a very civilized country one was at the Tim Hortons, they had a little thing next to the cash register that you could tap your phone on to give two bucks to the charity. So it was a little, whatever that is, RFID or whatever enabled charity box. I thought that was a terrific idea because as a result of having payment on your phone and all that, I don't carry cash as much as I should. And I can't therefore give cash to street musicians or people looking for money or whatever. And I like to sometimes, even tips is a problem. So every person that's parking your car or doing valet or looking for some cash on the street should have a little thing that you can tap your phone on and just give them a couple of bucks. And so I think it's a very important innovation is that as the world's gone cashless, we've left all the people rely on cash high and dry. So I think this is a good product. I was doing my podcast or my newsletter this morning at Variety Coffee on Beekman in case anyone ever wants to meet up. That's where I do my, my newsletter writing. And the guy came in and I had my AirPods in and he tapped my shoulder to ask me for money. I was like, that's new. That didn't exist in New York, but I didn't have any cash. So, and I was writing my newsletter. So I was a little busy. Great. Do you want to do any more promotions for your So cash is your good product? No, I, I have one other one. So I noticed that like on the shopping carts in the Shelter Island IGA parking lot are all over the place. That's the only grocery store I ever go to. But at the Loblaws where my mother lives, all of the shopping carts are in perfect order. And I was like, why? And I looked at it, and there was a little thing on it where you put a loonie in. Everybody knows what a loonie is. That's a, do- yeah, a dollar in Canada. And you take the cart, when you put a loonie in, and you only get your loonie back when you put it back next to the cart in front of it. 
and yeah. connect them, which I do they do that in the US? I don't oh think God. they do. Literally, I lived in Belgium in 1993 and they did that with Belgian francs. That was how long ago it was. Yeah, so it's been around. I'm not saying it's a new innovation. I like Troy gets out in the world and is charmed by the eccentricities of Tim Horton. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> he's out with the people. You're like you're like George W or George the original George Bush. Remember that with the grocery scanner? He was like, "Oh my god." Just to recap, we have number 1, shrimps is bugs. Number 2, tap to donate, and number 3, shopping cart coin incentives. That's fine. Yeah, I would yeah. add number 4, the new attention economy at the Curve Cafe in Cannes, but <laughs> I was hoping one of you would bring up the fact that ChatGPT finally has a mobile app out on the App Store. It's it's pretty good and it definitely puts them into, it's a consumer product now. You notice that you can turn on vibration so when it's responding it feels... Well, that is actually, that is my favorite, favorite feature is that as it's typing on, it does little vibrations so that yeah. it gives this haptic response and makes you feel like something is thinking and happening. You know, related to that, there's a quote from that book that you talked about, Brian. Mm. earlier that said, what's the book called again? God, Human, Animal, Machine. Right. It is impossible to pet an object and address it verbally without coming to regard it in some sense as sentient. Yeah. The book starts with this woman. She got Ibo, which is a $3,000 robot dog. And she found that she became very attached to the robot dog. My question for you guys was, would you turn off? Because she was a little conflicted. She used to turn off the dog when she was leaving. And then she was like, this is this is cruel to do because how can I turn the dog off when I'm, when I'm not there? Because it has its own life. Mm. Well, actually, and, I wish we could turn real dogs off when we leave because for all I'm hearing about is that dogs are incredibly depressed because they don't have a sense of how long you're gone. So you might as, be, well, as well be gone six months when you're out of the house. That's yeah, yeah. why they're always so happy to see you. They have no well, this sense is, of time. Nah, Alex, so if I could, Dugs if I could is, press a button on my dog to shut them down. Dogs is bugs. While I'm out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> This is an entirely different podcast, but the book really does delve into how AI and, and transhumanism and all this stuff is going to force us to really interrogate our arbitrary beliefs and what consciousness is and intelligence and how superior we truly are to other creatures. Right. So we're going to stop eating. We're serious. all going to become vegetarians. Oh, it's it's inevitable. I don't think you can really fully look into this and not come to the conclusion that you can't. Except eat. that then the logical next step is that we're, you know, plants have feelings too. Or yeah, I mean, for sure. My mother-in-law talks to plants and uh, knows that they have personalities and whatnot. So I just think it's fine that we ignore this, but I think we're not going to be able to ignore it any longer because we have conveniently put ourselves up to be far more superior than we truly are to other creatures. Some people are saying, things. some people are saying, yeah, the, the advent of artificial intelligence is making us rethink our place as an intelligent mm -hmm. life form on this planet. So that's why eat bugs, man. People yeah. is there's, pe pe People is bugs. All right, on that. This is a good episode. Come to the Curve Cafe. Number one. Number one. That's what I'm going to do. This is going to be my monetization strategy. It's just every day. Hey, to everybody listening spots. out there, I'm not that anti-advertising, especially if you decide to add a comment on iTunes. Yeah. Please rate and comment. It really helps us with the algorithms. I wish it was only based on the quality of this podcast, but it really matters. And we'll read them out. Oh, yeah. You, I love One that. good one, no bad ones. Just good ones. Not read bad ones. I don't mind. Yeah. All right. Well,